right, greetings once again. Welcome to Free Money Free. We are back again talking about the Word of God this week, Acts 4, verses 23 to 31. Jim, uh, good to be back discussing the Word of God. I think this particular passage has been helpful for me, even even just the last 24 hours. I think I've been able to apply it in several ways. But I, I'd be curious for you, uh, The we have this situation here where Peter and John have been released from jail or released from imprisonment. I've been told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, but they're committed to doing, doing it anyway. So they're released, they go back to their friends, and then we have this kind of pretty powerful prayer scene. Um, so, I, yeah, I guess, you know, the way we usually start this, and I think it's a good habit, is just to kind of share how it's been working in our own hearts. And so as you've been chewing on Acts 4, 23 to 31 over the last 24 hours, what has God been doing in your heart? How, is, how has he been convicting you or encouraging you or challenging you or, or just working in any particular way? Right. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the points that you brought out from the text yesterday was just how, you know, the first, their first response was to pray and that challenging question of, of what is our first response when we face, when we face any sort of crisis, right. And is that first response to pray? Um, and, and I would agree with, with some of the things you said yesterday that I am prone to like start to form a plan and strategize and figure out what do we need to do and just not to stop and, and, and pray uh, about. And, and what's interesting is these guys had this great victory, right? They were already bold. Like you would read how Peter and John stood in front of the, the religious leaders and go, man, they were super bold. And yet the first thing they do is they pray for boldness, mm-hmm. you know, and you go, wow, well, you already did that. Like, but they recognize this dependence, right? That even though they were bold in this moment, that they still recognize that they needed to pray for boldness. Mm. Like they had this sense of like, man, we were bold in that moment, but we may not always be bold. So let's keep praying that we can continue to be bold. And that just really showed me a, a great gospel dependence. That was just a really good reminder for me. Yeah, I think my own... Uh, the only way in which God's been working on me is is pretty similar. Um, this idea that their first instinct after being released was to stop and lift their voices together in prayer. Um, that was convicting. And even, even, even though I preached on this this week and had all week to think about it, I just convicted of this again last night. Um, you know, as we have four kids, so there's prone to be parenting issues. And last night we were having, and even this morning having some pretty serious parenting issues. And I, like I was convicted because my first instinct was still to think, well, if we were just better parents or if we just had a better strategy, then, you know, this kid wouldn't be struggling with this issue as much. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's obviously a place to have a discussion about like parenting strategy and are there things we could do better? I'm not denying that. Like God uses means as well as ends. Like, and I don't want to sit here and say, you know, well, you can do whatever you want. Parenting doesn't matter. Like just pray. Like that is not what I'm saying, but what I was convicted by is that my first instinct is to think, well, if we just did this better, then it would turn out. When in reality, um, for anything to happen as it relates to the hearts of our kids, it is going to be a work of the Spirit. And so although there is a place for discussion about strategy and what we can do better as parents, the first instinct has to be, God, please be merciful. Um, and I think in, in Acts 4, they're modeling that for us, that they're, again, you know, I, obviously there's some specific application to persecution here, right? But I do think right. there's crisis management 101, right. which is whenever you find yourself in a sticky situation, and, and I realize like, 
you know, sometimes you don't have a ton of time to stop and pray for hours, right? Like I realize sometimes you have to make split second decisions. Like, um, but all that to say, like, there's this attitude of like, we need God's help. Um, right. And I think, you know, I've just been wrestling a lot of, of what it means to be a Christian living in the United States and having the resources we do and our ability to get out of situations that we do, like in the resources that we have and how it's not that I, I wish away those things or, you know, I wished we lived in poverty or we didn't have any resources. I'm not saying that, but I do think it's it's good to be aware of the danger we have that that we live in a place where we can get out of most situations and where oftentimes we can just kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do a reasonable job. But you know, I think I think our first instinct in times of trouble has to be to pray and ask God for help. And yeah, you know, not to get in a long side discussion here, but I do wonder sometimes if even part of the reason why we go through some of the trials that we do in, in our case, like why we're having this parenting situation is God is just being gracious to us to help us see we need him, mm. that we cannot do this on our own. Mm. And I realize God is doing a million different things at once. I'm not saying, oh, that's the only reason he's doing this, but I do think it's one of the reasons, like, is he's helping us to realize we can't do this on our own. We need him. And and you could say that even in Acts 4, that one of the things he's doing in the early church is helping them to realize, no, they need him if they're going to be able to persevere through this. So, yeah, I think my conviction level is, is on the same point. Like, my first instinct has to be to stop and pray. Right. And even to think about, like, the, to something that you said earlier, you know, when you're in that sticky situation, that our first instinct would be to pray. And I think what's interesting here is they just came out of the sticky situation, right? Like right. this is actually, we should, could probably look at this thing. This is a moment of victory. They got released. They've been set free. Like they didn't die. They don't even get beaten. They're going to get beaten later, right? But they don't die. You know, like they get set free because they realize there's nothing that they can really do to them. So you should look at that and think, hey, this is a high moment. Like this is a celebration moment. Like right. they got out of the sticky situation. And here's where I can be prone is I can be pretty dependent, I think, in the sticky situation. But when I come out of the sticky situation, sure, I'm just back to normal. Right. And that's not where these guys were. Like they had this realization that, nope, we need to keep praying. Like it yep. was their regular habit of, of what they did is they just said, all right. We got out of this one, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we need Jesus any less right now, you know, and that's what stands out to me is like, that's the picture of dependence is not only do we need him when the heat is turned up, but when the heat is turned down, we keep realizing we still need Jesus. Yeah. And, and to your earlier point, just because we've experienced victory in a certain situation doesn't mean we should expect that that will keep happening apart from the work of the spirit. Right. So they're, right. they're bold, but they don't think, wow, we're really something here. I bet we'll be able to continue to do that. They, right. they pray, God, keep giving us boldness. Like right. we, we, so, you know, to transfer that over to the situation I was describing earlier, let's say we do have a moment of parenting. We're like, okay, by, by, by God's grace, we handled that well. Like we shouldn't think, I bet we'll handle it well next time. We have yep. to realize, nope, we're going to need to keep praying here because God's going to need to keep helping us. And you're right. Like we, I think our natural tendency is to let our guard down and think, oh, okay, well that went well. Like let's just move on. But rather, I think they're modeling for us here that prayer has to be you know, instinct. It has to be our, our first right. option and, and sometimes our only option. Right. Right. For sure. So let's, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about the way in which they pray too. Um, verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
You know, I do think that's interesting that they've just been arrested for preaching the gospel or for preaching about Christ. And then their first instinct is to pray out to the sovereign God. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the sovereignty of God. Um, someone, someone sent me a quote last week that said something to the effect of, um, for the non-believer, the sovereignty of God is, is frightening. Um, because they wonder, you know, how could God be in control of all these hard situations? But for the believer, it's it's a relief. Um, yeah, I think the, the exact quote was, to know that nothing happens in God's world apart from God's will may frighten the godless, but it stabilizes the saints. And it's a J.I. Packer quote. Um, so let, let's talk about the sovereignty of God. Like, if if you're in the middle of a really tough situation, like how is the sovereignty of God encouraging? If, if your kid is in the hospital or you've just gone through some traumatic event, like how is that comforting to know that God is sovereign? How do you work through that in your own mind, Jim? Like that, that we see all of the bad things that are happening in the world and, and yet we're still offering the sovereignty of God as a comfort to people say, be encouraged, God's sovereign when things are really going terribly. Um, and, you know, there, there's a million examples that we could give of things that we've even seen this last week of bad things happening. And yet I think we would still rightly offer up the sovereignty of God as a comfort. So how, how does that square together? I guess I'm, I'm wanting us to think theologically here for a minute. Right. So for me, I, I kind of start with the place of if there's suffering going on and God is not sovereign over that, then I mean, just be honest, then why do I pray? Because if I'm praying, I'm going to have doubts of, oh, can God handle this? Is he big enough? Can he can he uh, do something here because he's not sovereign? So that leaves a lot of doubt and I think insecurities, uh, if that's the case. I also think that if God is not sovereign in my suffering, then it's random Sure. And uh, there's not purpose and design and meaning behind it. Uh, that means it's uh, it's it's purposefulness. It's meaningless. There's there's like there's no reason for it. Um, and to me, that's a, to me, that's like a scary place to be, because if I'm going to suffer, it's got to mean something. Right. <laughs> if I'm going to suffer, there's got to be some purpose to it that I may not see what it is like right now. Um, even though I want to see it right now, but I also recognize that when I, when I'm suffering that within the sovereignty of suffering, that there is a purpose and a meaning and design and intentionality behind it. And whether I see that next week or five years from now or never, that I know that there is something there one day in eternity, I'm going to see that and go, Oh, that's what you were doing in my mo moment of suffering. I So I really like what you, like you brought out something that I think is so important that I don't think we talk about enough is the idea if that God can take the worst suffering in all of human history, which is the death of the innocent Christ right. and work good, our salvation, Christ's glorification, then he can work every other lesser suffering for good as well. And I don't think we give enough attention to the suffering of Christ and sovereignty in that. And I think, I'm glad you brought that out yesterday. And I think that's also a really good reminder that what we have to give is to say, here's our picture of ultimate suffering. It doesn't get any worse. Right. And the greatest good came from the worst suffering. So likewise, we know that God is big enough and sovereign enough to work in our sufferings as well for good. 
Yeah, and I think that's the direction they're headed in this passage in verses 24 through 28. That's why they're quoting Psalm 2. Right. And then they're talking about um, that all this happened according to God's hand and the plan that he'd predestined to take place. Like, I think I think the logic there is that we're suffering now, but like, you know, Christ's suffering was planned by God and, and part of his predestined plan. And yet... Um, that was for good in the end. And, and in the same way, like our suffering now, although hard is, is meant for our good too. Right. Like, I think that's kind of the logic that they're taking there in Acts four. And I I do think, I mean, there's obviously a way that you could talk about the sovereignty of God and be cold about it. Um, you know, if someone just lost a loved one to say to him, well, don't worry, God's sovereign. Um, you know, that's true. Uh, and and there's probably a place to say that eventually, but probably the better better tactic in that moment is just say I'm so sorry, right. I'm praying for you, right? Right. Um, you know, I, I was just talking to someone yesterday about you know they they were having a friend or family member who'd gone through something difficult, and we were just talking how do you comfort a person when when something really difficult's happening? And I think you know I, I don't think the first thing out of your mouth is probably to tell them well God's sovereign, um, right? I, Although that's true. And again, I think there is a place to have that discussion eventually. And actually, I think there's a place to have that discussion beforehand. And, and part of the reason why I think passages like Acts 4 are helpful for us is that they prepare us for when difficulty comes, that we do have that bedrock of, of resting in God's sovereignty. In fact, I would, I would just say in my own life, you know, as I look back on Dawson's illness or other various difficulties we've gone through, having the foundation of sovereignty of God in place before that happened mm-hmm. was one of the most mm-hmm. important things that could have happened. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say that I think a lot of these conversations about sovereignty of God need to take place beforehand so that sure. we know ahead of time and, and to meditate on on God's sovereignty in the cross and Jesus dying on the cross and how that was part of his plan and how he was taking this ultimate suffering and using it for good. That does give us confidence. But I say all that to say like, you know, we, we don't want to bludgeon people with the sovereignty of God as they're going through right. trials and just say, well, right. you know, God's sovereign. This is for our good. Right. It, that That's true. But I think there's a place, too, to just to be to be sympathetic and, and just to walk with a person and say, I'm so sorry. Like, And the sovereignty of God does not lessen the pain of living in this world. That's the other right. thing I would say. Like, you know, the fact that God is sovereign doesn't make it any easier that loved ones die or that we get sick or that bad stuff happens. Like, I think it's still okay. And that's where Psalms is so helpful, that we're still able to lament the brokenness of living in this world while at the same time resting in the sovereignty of God. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think, again, there, there's nuance here, I guess is what right. I'm getting at as it relates to the sovereignty of God. But the sovereignty of God is meant to be a comfort. And clearly that's how the early church saw it. They, they, they're... I mean, again, Acts 4 is a serious crisis moment here. Like, their leaders are being arrested, and, and they know, like, this is no idle threat. Jesus was just killed by the same group of people. Right. And yet, what do they rest in? They rest in the sovereignty of God, which right. is, I think, instructive for us. Right. Uh, some of those things that you said brought to mind for me. Um, so on my sabbatical this summer, one of the books that I had to read for the the class that I took um, was a, it was a great book by Nancy Guthrie talking about how do we speak into people, people's lives who suffer. And, you know, and it was really, it was really good for me to read that because she said, look, we need to acknowledge, like, don't, um, don't sugarcoat the pain that people are going through. Like, don't just gloss over it. Um, really speak into it and say, and, and you know, to, to say and acknowledge it and say, wow, this is hard. Like, this is painful. And this hurts and, and, 
and to speak into that and let them speak into the reality of the pain of the suffering that's going on. And, and, and yet they do say, but we do want to give them the hope of Christ too. So I do think that it is this uh, balancing act that we want to be holistic in how we talk to people who are suffering, to acknowledge their suffering and to recognize that it is hard and it is real and it is painful, but not to stay there. And not just to jump so quickly to the sovereignty of God and, you know, just say everything's going to be a-okay, you know, pat you on the back and, you know, send them on their way. That you do want to, you, you do want to hold both of these things in tandem and talk about both of those things together in some pretty clear and honest ways. Yeah, I, I think it's entirely possible to grieve the brokenness of this world and lament it and hate the fact that the world is broken and yet at the right. same time still affirm that God is sovereign and he's in control and that somehow he has a good plan, right? And right. I think we tend to want to run to one or the two of those things. Right. Like we either right. want to kind of, um, you know, just kind of dwell in this idea that the world's broken and it stinks and we hate it. Or we just want to give kind of religious platitudes, God's sovereign, don't worry, he's in control. Right. When I think both are true at the same time. And right. I think I think we need to allow ourselves the space to deal with both of those things. Right. I, I, I think, you know, it's like most of the Christian life. There's a there's a ditch on both sides. And I think in this case the ditch is either to just wallow in the brokenness of this world or to hyper spiritualize everything and make it sound like, oh yeah, God's sovereign, it's fine, it's easy. Like when in reality, like no, the world is broken and it's painful, and yet God is sovereign. Like and both things can right. be true at the same time, and I think we need to be able to talk about both things. Right, exactly. Totally agree with you. So in Acts four, um, what other things are you chewing on in this passage, Jim? Anything else that you thought? Okay, this is this is interesting. Yeah, you know, the one thing I really um, thought was interesting is the way that you brought out the corporate nature of what was going on in this passage, right? Yeah. You know, that they were together doing these things and, um, you know, that this wasn't just the isolated things that like Peter and John were doing, you know, uh, that they were doing this collectively. And I thought that was a really good message. Like, I think that's a good message for the church, right? Yeah. That we are collectively in this together and that we need to be like encouraging one another in prayer, coming together as a body to pray. Um, and, and so I thought that was a really good point to bring out in this passage. I think, uh, so first of all, I, I don't have any doubt that throughout history, there's always been a danger to kind of want to do it on your own. So I'm not right. sitting here say, oh, we're so unique. But I do think there's probably an increased danger with the technology that we have to isolate ourselves more and to think that um, online interaction is somehow a substitute for being with real people and walking through real situations with them. So, you know, for example, um, with COVID and all that happened, I think there's probably a rise of people attending services online. Can you can you call it attending if they're doing it online? But whatever, um, right. they're they're participating in services online. And while I understand that instinct because it's it's easier maybe at some level, and you know you have access to preachers who are gifted and all those things like. At the end of the day, it's not the same, um, right? Because when you're walking through pain, the person online can't reach out to you and hold you. Um, they can't weep with you. Uh, I mean, I guess theoretically they could, but you don't know that they are. I right? think like you don't see it. I mean, I, right? I mean, I guess 
it's possible on FaceTime or something you could see, but it's not quite the same, right? Like there's just something about being together right. um, that is different than having this kind of fake online community. I, and I, I guess I shouldn't say it's fake, but it's just, it's just not as rich or layered. I think there is something about being with the people of God together and living life together. And in this case, praying together, resting in the character of God together, sharing the word of God together that can't be replaced. And, you know, I, I think this is going to be more of an issue going forward. Um, you know, I, I saw that Facebook came out with something this last week. I don't even know what it is. The metaverse. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, like, I saw it. I don't know what I, it means. To be honest with you, I haven't read enough to know exactly what's going on. But the way I understand it's some virtual world or something, I think. But I, I think you can, like, aside from that, and I, I really don't know what that is. Like, I've not read enough to speak about it intelligently. I should probably shouldn't have brought it up. But there is going to be this, <laughs> there is going to be this augmented world, I think, of reality where we're going to think that like living in this fake online world is somehow a substitute for being with real people right. and actually living real life. Right. And I, I think, you know, sometimes the ancient way is the better way. And in this case, I think the model here that we're seeing in Acts 4 of the church coming together, right, right? And, and being together and praying together and, and sharing the word of God together, like that is going to be the model going forward and not like needs to be the model going forward and not this idea that we can somehow replicate that through virtual means. And I'm not saying like, you know, I'm not trying to be the guy who's like, get off my lawn. Don't be on social media. I'm not saying that. Like, but I do think there needs to be a place where we recognize we have to be together and we have to live life together and we can't replace this with some sort of online interaction. Right. Right. I love, uh, I don't think I ever saw this when you brought out in verse 23, where it says when they were released, they went to their friends. Like, I was like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah. You know, this idea that they saw, they saw the church, not as just their, you know, their brothers and sisters in Christ, but they saw them as their friends. Yeah. Like that's a, like, that's kind of an intimate layer there. Right. That yeah. They, that, that is. Yeah. You know, and to say, Okay, yeah, online friends are nice. Um, but I do think that's a theme of the book of Acts is there's a very corporate nature of what the early church looked like. And we're going to see it again here at the end of four, right? Like there's this very coming together corporate nature. Like here's the thing I think. I think the church offers the alternative of what um, social media is revealing the need that is in our heart. Hmm. which is community, right? Like that's what we need, right? We're longing for community. And for some reason we have gotten to this place in our society that we think the only place where we can find community is on our device with total strangers sometimes. Right. And when we go, but look, we have a community right here that meets regularly in person. And it's not just a community. These are your friends. This church is your friends. And this is where we want you to come and gather together and lift each other up face to face in person, caring for each other, listening to each other, speaking into each other's lives, edifying the believers. It's just something that you can't get watching a sermon online. I don't think there's any question that there's a longing in us for community. Um, you know, Elijah and I went to a, a soccer game. There's a I don't know what level soccer it is. There's there's MLS and there's a level below that. And Omaha is the team. And there was a group of supporters there that they're all decked out and they're all wearing clothes. And you could tell, like, they had these drums, like they were all wearing neon yellow because I guess that's their color or whatever. Like, 
And I, like, you could just tell watching, okay, this is their community. Like, and you know, I, I'm, I'm not railing against that. I think there, there's an echoing there of something that is, that is good, right? Like, um, and even, even you see that with Nebraska, right? Like there's a shared camaraderie of Nebraska football. Like, Hey, we're a community. Like when they go to the stadium, we're in the, like, you know, random people give each other high fives or, you know, you see this in, in gyms, people join gyms, CrossFit or something like that. And they, they form this community. And, and I, I think that does speak to the longing that we have to be in community with one another. Um, even, even the stuff that's happening politically, like I, I think, I think a lot of that is people want to be in some sort of tribe or community where they feel like there's people who get me, right? Like, and I think what we see in the New Testament is that that's what the church is supposed to be. That's right. And I, I think um, I, I don't blame the, the people at the soccer game who have this community. I would just say they're missing the most important part of the community, which is that we're united together by a common love for Christ. Right. And so um, I, I think there's there's all kinds of, and in, in the online stuff too, I think speaks to a need for a community as well. Like the people want to belong to something. And I, I think what we can offer is just something that's better. Like it's a real community that's based on the work of the spirit, based on a common love for Jesus. And I, you know, I mean, we're about to see next week, like this community is not perfect. And sometimes we have an idea of like <laughs> I- idealizing like the early church, like, oh, right. they were so perfect. And we're about to find out in Acts 5, some people are going to die because they, they, you know, they weren't perfect. Like it right. was messed up at times. And so like, right. I, I don't mean to idealize here, like, oh, look at this church. Like, this is the way to do things. Like, no, there, there's always a danger lurking there. But... I do think that there is a need to actually be in community with other believers and and not just in a, hey, we, we see each other and we tend and then that's it, but to actually be in each other's lives. And so, that, you know, that's that's what I would encourage, if, you know, if there's anyone listening and they're not super connected to people within the church, like, I know it's scary, like, um, and, and the reality is that sometimes people in the church will hurt you. Um, and sometimes they will mess up. Um, and, and there is always the danger of sin lurking. But um, it's worth diving into because there is a richness here that is really profound. Right. Right. I can't escape the fact that in Matthew, Jesus is the one who said, this is my church. Jesus created the church. Right. And I think that's so important for us to remember that the church is not some man-made institute. It was a Jesus-made institute. And so if that's the case and we claim to be followers of Christ, we need to be about the things that Christ was about. And that is the church. And is the church flawed? Yes, absolutely it is. Um, I have been hurt by by churches in the past, sometimes really, really in really painful ways. Um, but that does not mean I give up on Christ and his church to say, I want to be a part of this because I know this is where great spiritual blessing comes from, encouragement comes yeah. from. Yeah, and that's where I do think the the analogy of um, marriage is helpful, right? The Ephesians 5, and really I think the purpose of marriage actually points to the relationship between Christ and the church, not vice versa, um, that, that marriage exists to point to this. But, you know, if you think about in my marriage, like I've, I've hurt Tanya in some profound ways and she's hurt me in some profound ways, but we were still committed to right. making it work. Right. Like, and I think our relationship with the church, we need to have that same mentality. Like, yeah, they're, we're going to hurt each other in some really profound ways. And, um, because we do still have this danger of sin that's lurking around every corner, like there's going to be times where we just, we blow it. Um, right. but 
at the end of the day, what we need to remember is that the church is the bride of Christ and has value and will always have value despite how messed up it is. And, and it doesn't take long. Like, you don't have to work real hard to find flaws in the church. Right. And I mean that in a big picture sense, but also in a small sense. Like, if someone wanted to point out flaws in Free Money Free, it wouldn't take long to come up with a pretty big list. In fact, I could give you a pretty good starting place. Like, I could list lots of things that are wrong with the church. And, and for that matter, I can list lots of things wrong with me too. Like, but the point isn't that the church is perfect or the community is always going to be easy. But the, the, the point is that God has designed us to live in community. Um, even, even if you right. think back to Genesis one, I was listening, uh, to a sermon while Tony and I were in Colorado where, you know, Genesis one is profoundly community oriented with God, the father, God, the son and God, the spirit, like now God, the son doesn't make a huge appearance there, but the spirit is there from the very beginning. And there's this hint of let us make God, let us make man in our image. And it's like, okay, what's going on? Like there's community language there. And so some of it is the way that, that God is, is, you know, triune and thus communal and thus we are created in his image for community. So, I guess I saw that to say, like, yeah, the church is messed up, but we need each other. And right. there is something profoundly beautiful about working through it together and relying on each other. Right. And to, to your point earlier, using that marriage illustration, you know, I would agree with the idea that, you know, there have been times that Mandy and I have hurt each other. And yet uh, that marriage commitment says, you know what, we're going to work and overcome those hurts and work through those issues. And you come out the other side stronger. And you go, wow, you know what? Some of our greatest growth in marriage was coming through some really painful, hard times. Um, And that can be the same with the church, right? Say, hey, you know what? Sometimes I'm going to go through some painful, hard times with the church. And yet to work through those things and come through the other side should only make the church stronger as well. Right. Instead of just bowing out and saying, oh, I'm done. Checking out. Right. And again, that's not to that's not to say we can't lament that there is pain in the church, right? right? Like right. that we shouldn't just be like, oh, come on, love the church, like it's the bride of Christ. Like again, there's a ditch to fall in there and to say, hey, yeah, let's let's lament the fact that man, the church hurt us in some significant ways. That that stinks, or that we see, you know, around the country, we see you know these churches collapsing. Like ah, I hate that. Like it's okay to lament that and say this is wrong, right? Like this, there's something broken here. Um, but at the same time to realize that doesn't mean that the institution itself is worth getting rid of or that it's worth abandoning the call to community. Let's just say, just like we would say problems in marriage don't don't mean that marriage itself is inherently flawed. It just means that it takes work, right? Like, um, just because I'm having difficulty in my marriage doesn't mean that the institution of marriage is the problem. Um, and just because the church has problems doesn't mean the institution of the church is the issue. It just means that we're sinful people that have to work through things. And it's okay to grieve that. Well, at the same time, recognizing God still created this for our good. Right. All right. That's all I have for today. You got anything else? I think we covered the the passage well. Yeah. Well, that may be debatable, but we did cover it. So (laughs) hopefully, hopefully in helpful ways. So next week, Acts 432 through chapter 511. A, a pretty interesting passage oh, in part man. in part because of the way it shifts. And then 42 to 37, you have this kind of, whoa, wow, the church is doing awesome. And then 5, 1 through 11, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, not everything's perfect in, in the land right. of the church here. So right. uh, looking forward to that passage this next week. Until then, keep pressing on, keep looking up. Uh, Again, I think the, the message from yesterday is, is don't don't look inward and outward first. Look up, pray, ask God to help, because the truth is we need it. Right. All right. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.